I know you. You are afraid to speak up. You are scared of what other people think of you. And you blame yourself for what happened to you. I know how it feels because I've been there. If you found me, I'm so grateful you are here. This podcast will give you hope. And I'm your host, Anna Maidanova. And I'm going to hold your hand and provide the guidance. It's time for you to find your why and turn your experience into your biggest power. This is your time now. So lock your door, put your headphones in and enjoy. Nick Prefontaine, welcome to the world's best trauma recovery podcast. Anna, I am so thrilled to be here that you're doing this work, that I can help in any way I can. I love it. Nick, I am really excited to have you on my podcast because your story is something that struck me very, very strong. I've never met someone who literally came up from being unconscious to being a very conscious and helping people. So Nick, and before we jump into your story, I would like to ask you uh, a one tricky question. You're Nick, starting off tough. You, you're being tough on me to, to start with. Okay. I like it. <laughs> Nick, why setting the goals is so important? Because you have to know where you're going. You have to know where you're going. And these, these goals, the goals even that I set, uh, they weren't external. No one told me, and to this day, they're not external. I don't, go after, I don't go after goals that are important to other people. They come from they come from in here. They come from inside of all of us. And that's where my goal to run out of the hospital came from. It came from in here, inside of me. Nick, would you let our listeners know what's happened, what, where this goal came from? Yeah, let me, I would say this. My parents, when I got, when I got into my accident, which I'm going to dive into in a little bit here, but I'm just trying to uh, be respectful of you and, and answer your question. So my parents had a goal once I got in my accident for me to make a full recovery. Now that's, that's, awesome. That's very admirable for them to have that. But then once I was conscious and aware, I had a, a calling inside of me that I wanted to run out of the hospital. And that, that was my goal. So I think each one of us going through whatever we're going through, as far as a trauma or crisis, life challenge, anything like that, you have, you have that North star within you. You have that compass within you that's that desire or calling for your goal and you have to follow it. You know what, what I've noticed from my own experience? They say, if you don't change the life, life will change you. And I'm all about creating my own life and setting the goals is a part of it. Because as you mentioned once you know where you're going, the whole universe, or you can call it your God, or 
I don't know, uh, whatever you believe in, it will make it happen no matter what. You don't need to know how. You just need to believe and you need to make this first step and you you have to go for it. Is it what Absolutely. happened to you? Absolutely. So I'd like to I'd like to take everyone back to to that day when I when I actually got into my snowboarding accident. I was I was in a snowboarding accident. So first first off I was it was ski club Wednesday. I was 14 years old. I was in eighth grade. We were all heading to the mountain. And because we had ski club, we got to leave a little bit early, which is always exciting uh, for any, any eighth grader that they get to leave school a little bit early. So we have brought, my friends and I, we brought all of our snowboarding gear, our snow pants and coat and gloves and everything on the bus so we could get ready. And we wouldn't miss a precious moment once we got to the mountain. We got to the mountain and Anna, everyone, all the rest of my classmates headed inside to the lodge to get ready. But my friends and I, we were already ready. And that was part of the reason why we wanted to bring our things onto the bus because we didn't want to miss any bit of time when we were there. We wanted to get the most amount of runs in that we could. So we headed right over to the chairlift. And then going, and I believe we are one of, if not the first from our school to be ready and to go up the chairlift. And going up, I noticed that, or and we all noticed that it was a little bit icy because it had been raining. People, people were wiping out uh, everywhere. And then the chairlift went right over the train park where all the jumps were. And let me just let me just give the listeners a little bit of, and you a little bit of background because I don't know if we've gone over this in this detail, but I wasn't. It wasn't like my first year or two snowboarding. I knew, for lack of a better term, I knew what I was doing. So as soon as I saw the biggest jump in the terrain park, I was like, "That's it. I'm I'm going off it." There wasn't even a moment of like. Uh, should I go off a smaller one or, or maybe I should take it easy. I knew what, I knew that that's what I was doing. I got to the top, buckled into my stoneboard and then started heading down and tried to go as fast as I could, just because I wanted to make sure I was carrying enough speed to go off that jump because it was a big jump. Going up to the jump, and that that was a little bit of a problem because the jump, it turns out, was very, very poorly made. It wasn't, it wasn't designed to hit it with a lot of speed. Um, for whatever reason, the mountain had built it so that you could basically go off of it without any speed and make the landing. So that that was a little bit of a, of a problem for me. And I went off with all that speed and going up to the jump, I caught the edge of my snowboard and that kind of threw me off balance. So in the air, for those of you that are only listening on audio, you're not able to see me, but through the air, I rotated and I landed right on my head. I was told that I, I did land on my head and I wasn't wearing a helmet. The only, the only protection that I did have though, 
which I believe contributed to me being here today and saving my life was the fact that I used to wear some pretty uh, thick goggles with a lot of padding on them. They were called spies. I don't know anyone who's familiar with snowboarding or skiing probably knows what I'm talking about, but they were very big and made a lot of padding. I never realized, Anna, that having those would would contribute to saving my life because that initial impact, they they braced the fall. And then with each subsequent impact after that, I was told by people who saw the accident and the doctors deduced this. And they told um, me and my family that with each impact, the goggles moved to cushion the blow with each blow that I made with with the ice, with the ice and the snow. So I was very fortunate that I had those goggles, even though I didn't have a helmet. And the thing was, they told me, look, I'm a huge advocate for helmets, I I think. And after my accident, I was a huge advocate for helmets. Who knows what would have happened if I did have a helmet on? However, uh, the the doctors actually told my parents that, even at the severity, which I went off that jump and I landed on my head because it was like a a uh, 20 foot jump. Call it, I went five to 10 feet above that. And then I cleared the landing. So it was like I was falling from, from uh, 20, you know, 20, 25 or 30 feet all the way to ice landing right in my head. They said with that kind of a fall, we don't even know if a helmet would have done anything. We don't think it would have because it was that severe of an accident. So I don't know. I mean, going back, if I were, if I had the choice to say, okay, will you have a helmet on or will you not have a helmet on? I'll always be an advocate for helmets. And I think they're a great thing. However, I don't know if it made much of a difference that I, that I didn't have one. And if I had one on, I don't think it would have changed the outcome. Then they tried to life flight me with a helicopter because it was so severe, my injuries. They couldn't because it was too windy. So they had to, they had to rush me to the emergency room, which was about, geez, 30 to 40 minutes away. And they had to do so by ambulance. Out of these six paramedics who who they had on staff working, there was only one who could intubate right on the spot. And I needed that, Anna, to be able to breathe uh, because, because I was paralyzed right from when I got in the accident because I landed on my head. So I needed to be intubated to uh, insert a breathing tube down my throat so I could, I could be able to breathe. And luckily for me, this is another thing that, that just brought, and again, you, you already said this, call it whatever you want, God, the universe, higher power, whatever, whatever you think. But there's just too many things that add up that, that all, that all were breaking in my favor. So that one person was on, was working that day and he showed up to the mountain. When I got to the mountain, not when I got to the mountain, but when I when I got to the uh, emergency room, when I got to the intensive care unit, they they had to drill a hole in my head, in my skull, 
uh, to insert a shunt to relieve the pressure in my brain because they said without it, uh, the pressure, I, I potentially could have woke up uh, whether it was seven or 10 days after my accident because just on the impact alone, I would have been out for seven or 10 days. It was a partially induced coma that they put me in because they were worried that I would wake up and panic and be like, what's going on? What's happening? Why am I here? How did I get here? And then the pressure in my brain, which was already considerable given the injury, given my accident, the pressure would have gone up and I would have died. So they had to, they had to induce me. It was a partially induced coma. Uh, like I said, with just from the impact alone, because it was so severe, I would have been out seven or 10 days. And after I got, after I was in the ICU, because my parents didn't know anything, they, they were just told to show up and, and go to the hospital. I had been in an accident. So my parents got there and they were, they were of course shocked to see how rough a shape I was in. Then at the early stages, and this is something, obviously, I don't know. I was in a coma. I was, I was, this is what I was told. The doctors would come into my room where I was resting in a coma and my parents were to share updates with how I was doing and how I was progressing and updates on the tests and everything else. And at least in those early stages, uh, they weren't very positive, those updates, so my parents always, they would come, doctors would come into my room and start to talk and, and tell about the updates. My parents stopped them every time. They said, no, no, not here, not in front of him. Because they knew that even though I was out, I was, I was definitely out, that I was still taking in information, yes. So they asked them to go outside and then that they could share the updates and everything like that. Fast forward a couple weeks after three weeks, I came out of my coma. I've seen video of myself in the ICU with my eyes open looking around. I do not remember it consciously. I don't remember being there. I don't remember being there in, in the ICU at UMass, but it's so funny. And it's, uh, since then, I've gone back there because a couple years after my accident, I was honored by, by the hospital, UMass, uh, to partake in a groundbreaking ceremony for a new, a new building, a new hospital wing. And I went there and that was a couple of years after my accident. And I went to, I went into the ICU where I was and it was the craziest thing because I was looking around like, oh, like, this layout, this layout of the floor that you, your faces, I, I think I know you, but I can't really put my finger on it because I had had my, because I had my eyes open and because I was taking in information, even though I don't consciously remember it, unconsciously, I remember being there, but I don't, I, I couldn't tell you, yes, that's okay. That's the building. And that's how they do things there. And that's her name. And that's her name. And that's the doctor's name. And I, I have no idea, but the whole place just seemed very familiar to me. And I, I just couldn't put my finger on it. But so after, 
after a month, call it a month, I was transported to a rehab hospital in Boston. When I was first transported there, I was put on the third floor, which was reserved for the most critical of cases. And even there, because I was coming off of the partially induced coma, coming off of all the drugs that, that kept me alive, I don't, I don't have many memories there. I, bits and pieces, I remember things from being on the third floor, but really my, my whole journey and my whole, from what I remember, and like when I was aware and everything began on the second floor, when I was in the second floor at the rehab hospital. And that's where, well, before it, it probably started. I just don't have conscious memory of it, but I would, they were long days for me and I would get up and I would need help. I would need help taking a shower. And because if I was going to say, if you remember, but there's no way you would remember this, but I needed, I lost I lost everything. Like I lost, I was starting from nothing. I didn't know how to do anything. So I was basically like a, for lack of a better term, a 14 year old baby. I had to, I had to learn everything and I did so very quickly, but I needed help learning how to do everything. Like when you get up in the morning, you have to take a shower you have to know or you have to be taught, at least we all take for granted that this, that the water comes before the soap and like those little things like that. So my occupational therapist had to teach me how to shower again. And I just want to, I just want to pause there because the, if you think about that, people, a lot of people can take that for granted. Like, having alert, having a shower and getting up every day and they're just on autopilot and showering. And uh, that's how I would start my day. And then I would have breakfast and then swallowing. I had to learn how to do that all over again. I wasn't able to eat foods. I was, I was fed through a feeding tube at first. I couldn't, I couldn't eat just because I had to retrain all the muscles because I lost something like 20 pounds when I was in my coma. So I had to rebuild everything again and relearn everything again. So at first it was, it, it was thick shakes and things that were easy to swallow. And believe it or not, water is actually one of the most difficult or more difficult things to swallow. So I had to, I don't know why that just came out, but I had to relearn how to do everything again. So I would have breakfast. Then I would start my first therapy sessions of the day. I would do, I would have a session of physical therapy, then a session of occupational therapy, then a session of speech therapy. Then I would break for lunch. And then after lunch, I would start again. I would have a session of physical therapy, a session of occupational therapy and a session of speech therapy. So I had double sessions of therapy five days a week. And my breaks, my breaks were on the, on the weekends, I guess you could call it if, if you do call it a break, but then any moment that I got, 
even after my therapies, I always ask them, my, my nurses and doctors and therapists, I ask them, okay, I, I, I had a goal. And from the earliest point that I can remember, that which I've already talked about, no one, no one put the goal on me. It, was, it came from inside me. So as soon as I was able to communicate, I communicated that my goal was to run out of the hospital. And then we organized all the nurses and therapists and doctors to know what my, what my goal was. So we were meeting with them every week and asking, what is the update? How, how did he do for the previous week? What are we doing to help inch him closer, move him closer to his common goal? So that is that is just a sneak peek into the the days that happened there when I was at the hospital. Then less than. So because I was in a coma for approximately a month, I don't remember a month, even though they say it was it was three weeks that I was in the coma. I don't remember a month. The real work for me began in in early March. When I got my wits about me, I got my bearings and I was like, all right, what's, I was aware of what, what was in front of me, the work that was in front of me because my parents had kept the outside influence of the doctors from sharing the prognosis of when I was in a coma and everything. What are those prognosis for Nick? Can you share what doctors were saying? Yeah, sure. They were, they told my parents that they had to, of course, paint the worst case scenario for liability reasons. They, they can't say, oh, he's going to make a full recovery. He's going to, the chances of me doing that were very slim. They said that even if he is able to make, make a recovery, even if he is able to come out of this coma and everything, he's probably going to need 24-hour care for the rest of his life. He, there's a good chance he's probably not going to walk again on his own. He's probably not going to talk. He's probably not going to um, speak, walk, talk, everything like that. Eat. Eat. Yeah, everything. So they shared that information with my parents, but because I didn't know that, I was just... I was able to treat it like any other situation, which is, all right, you asked me to do what's in front of me. I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to work towards it. So as soon as I, as soon as I was aware of that, and like I said, call it, call it early March, that was where my, in my head, where my recovery began, I, I just kept getting up every day and taking the next step. What's the next step that I can do that's going to get me to my, to our common goal? Wow, man, your story is incredible. Even though I'm hearing this for the second time, it still gives me a shivering in my spine. We do take our life for granted. We don't realize that it can change literally within a second. And you know, there is a saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And Nick, I think it was something some sort of power that's help you to get out 
on another side of the the situation, be stronger. And the fact that your parents believed that you're going to walk again, they didn't tell you, they didn't give you this limiting belief or program, that's what helped you to go to to do this work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, and then when I, when I got, when I ran out of the hospital, so I ran out of the hospital on April 24th, the rehab hospital in Boston. And it wasn't like, okay, you're, you're all set. Go back to living your life. I, I had to, I had to still worry about school. I had to, it's a, so I had to finish eighth grade, which all all of the teachers and my principal and everyone said, don't worry, you've been through a lot. You can come back next year and we can do eighth grade over again. And I didn't want that. I didn't want to do that. So what I did was during the mornings, I would go in just because I wasn't able, I wasn't at the curriculum level because I missed so much time. I wasn't where my classmates were. So it wasn't like I could just go back and sit in the class and learn what they were learning. And I wasn't able, I didn't have that stamina to do that for an entire day. So I would go in in the morning, I would be tutored five days a week by, I had a tutor there in school for two or three hours every day, five days a week. And then I would break at lunchtime when the rest of my classmates had lunch, I would have lunch with them. And then I would be picked up. My mom would pick me up. And I would go to outpatient therapy. I had to do that. I had to do, I had to get tutored all summer long in order to move on to ninth grade with my classmates. So even though I was able to walk at my graduation ceremony, I still had to be tutored all summer long and take therapy, outpatient therapy. So not double sessions, but I still had physical, occupational, and speech therapy five days a week. This is so inspiring. Nick, I have two questions. Do you know who is Steve Prefontaine? Steve Prefontaine is actually my uncle. But he but he's alive. (laughs) I do I do know who Steve Prefontaine is. Yes. Yes. Because when I heard about your goal to run from the hospital, I was like, wow. (laughs) I wonder whether you guys related. Ah, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe somewhere down the line. I um, and we were talking off air, Anna. We were talking about this uh, running. I actually just did. I uh, completed a 10k on Sunday, and I've already I've run in two <sighs> half marathons, a 10 mile race, and that was my first 10k. Wow! Wow! Congratulations! Thank you. What an achievement! From Thank being in coma to running 10. 10 case. You are such an inspiration. Thank you. Nick, what, what is the biggest lesson you've learned from all this situation? Geez, that's, that's kind of a loaded question. There, there's so much that I learned. Just one, my, one main question that, that you can- One main lesson that I can, learned? Sure. So lesson. yeah. Um, with our with and I haven't we haven't talked about it much, but I've I've kind of hinted at it, saying I we met with all the doctors and asked what was going to get me, what I could do to get that was going to help me get to my common goal. Uh, our company 
it, that we have is called common goal. So one of one of my biggest lessons that I learned going through that was that you just have to take it one step at a time. Mm. Now, out of out of that and out of my recovery, Anna, we we have just had common goal created the STEP acronym to help all of those individuals that are out there that are going through a trauma, a crisis, a, ch- a life challenge. And I'd, I'd love to introduce that today for all the listeners. I think it will really help them. Yes, please. What does it mean, STEP? Awesome. So S of STEP is support. Support, you have to have the help and support of your family and friends. You have to make sure that first because this frees up so much of your mental energy to focus on accomplishing your objective. Now, it might sound overly simplistic, but this one act of getting everyone on board at the start, and I realize, I realize the reality of going through a trauma or going through any kind of crisis is that oftentimes you can't get everyone, you can't get the support of everyone on board around you, but there has to be at least one or two people who you can get on your side and you can get on board. T in the STEP acronym is trust. Uh, you have to trust that you, and I've, we've already talked about it, the, that goal, that goal that comes from, it can't come from outside. It can't be anyone else giving you the goal, but you have to trust that you have this calling or this desire. It's inside of you for a reason, and you have to follow it. And this also starts with trusting yourself. E in the STEP acronym is energy. You have to make sure that you have your energy. So to affect, to affect and influence others, you have to make sure that you're taking care of yourself first and foremost. This starts health, diet, exercise. You really have to make sure that your energy is operating at a high level in order to affect and influence others and even accomplishing your objective. And then P, persistence. Persistence, once you take your first step, which the first step is more important, and this is something we haven't talked about, but the first step, when you're going through a trauma or a crisis or anything, the first step is the most important step because once you take that first step, it allows the next step to become possible. So P is persistence. Once you take that first step, keep moving forward every day. Make sure you're doing something every day that's going to move you closer to your objective. That's a step acronym. Summer, that's a that's a summary. But I'd like to invite all the listeners to go to our website and they can download our free ebook called Step, which gives them the whole step system broken down because obviously there's more than just what I shared. That was like that was a summary, but the ebook step is the whole step system. So what we did was went through and deconstructed everything that I did um, to overcome my snowboarding accident. And really, Anna, when I was doing that, I wasn't even aware of this, but when I was doing that, 
I realized that, oh my God, I do this in everything, every, not just my accent. I do this for everything in my life. Whenever I want to accomplish anything new, this is what I do. And I didn't even realize it at the time, but it was something, it was something that's been instilled in me. Um, they can, the listeners can go to the, uh, go to our website, Nick, prefontaine.com forward slash step. And that will help them get started on their first step. And that's so they can download the free ebook. Amazing, Nick. Thank you so much for sharing. Nick, I'm just wondering, is there anything else you are still working on? Is there anything else? If you, if you would have a magic wand, you would change. Hmm. Magic wand. I, I don't know as if I believe in magic wands. Just imagine. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know as if I believe in magic wands. People ask me that all the time because I said, oh, well, looking back at, at your whole experience and your snowboarding accent, I'm sure you would probably, if you could go back, this, this is a magic wand example. If you could go back and, and wave a magic wand and not do it, how would you choose to? And I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing because it brought me to where I am today. And it gave me the opportunity to help others that are going through a trauma crisis or life challenge in their lives and help them to get to the other side. So I don't, I've never thought about that, Anna, but I don't, I don't even know as if I would change anything. I love the process and I love that I'm able to help and affect and influence other people that are going through the same thing. And I've done this even before, even before common goal, I've done this throughout my life. So since my, since my accident, whenever anyone's going through a trauma or crisis, I always, I'm always there to support. I'm always there to help them go through that. Because going through my experience of being at a snowboarding accident and having to learn how to walk, talk, and eat again, going through that experience, to me, helping other people to get to the other side of their trauma, it's not to the outsider. And Anna, you and I have talked about this. To the outsider, it might seem like, oh, gosh, that's, that's so heavy. How do you... How do you do that? I feel drained after I after I talk to them or after I work with them. Yep. To me, it's it's adding energy to me because I don't even know why. Because of the it's most likely, more than likely because of the experience that I've been through, but it gives me energy to help other people that are going through that. And I feel like I really feel like that's a gap out there. There there aren't a lot of people that are comfortable with talking. A lot of people don't know what to say. They, they have no idea. People that are going through trauma, it's, oh, well, I, I just, I stopped calling Joe because, or I stopped calling Jane because I, I just, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. But the most important thing is that we just have to be there for one another. Just, just listen, just be there for one another. That's, Nick, that's uh, 100% correct. 
lots of people diminish their own experience. But what you do, you are sharing your, your story. And I can relate to your story in some capacity. I love this, um, this acronym STEPS because that's what most important, just to take this first step in your recovery, in your trauma healing, in everything, in your life, if you want to change anything. Um, but what I was asking, Nick, do you need help with anything? Or what do you need a help with right now? What I, what I would need help with, Hannah, that's a great question. And it gives me, that's why I'm pausing because I don't just want to say something to say something. I, I need help with right now, my, the desire that's inside of me and the calling that's inside of me is I have to, I have to be on stage telling my story and what I want to do what I'm having right now is I want to be, and I'm in the process of making applications and writing, writing speeches and everything, but what I'm doing, I'm in the process right now of doing a TED talk and I'm making applications and everything like that. But that's, that's what I, if any, anyone's out there, any listeners out there that can help me get on a TED stage that's that's what I would love the help and assistance. I'm working with a mentor and a coach right now that's helping me get there. But if someone listening is looking for a TED speaker or a TEDx speaker, I would love to be there for you. I would love to share my message of overcoming adversity um, with your audience. And you have a, such an important message, Nick. And I'm sure someone out there well, who listens to this podcast will hear your story and will say, you know what? So many people are going through this and they don't know what to do. And that's where you come in. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So it's, it comes down to um, TEDx, TEDx uh, producers, organizers, that kind of thing. The, uh, the coach that I referenced that I'm working with, she was the former executive producer of TEDx Lincoln Square. However, um, which I, I'm going to get there. I'm sure I'm going to get there. However, um, if anyone out there is looking for a TED speaker or a TEDx speaker, definitely get in touch with me. I'd love to uh, share my message with your audience and spread the good, spread the good word to take one step at a time. <laughs> save lives <laughs> yeah that's right nick where people can find you uh they can go to nick n-i-c-k prefontaine.com forward slash step and that will as i mentioned help them they can find me there and they can also get started on their first step perfect before we go nick do you have any concluding thoughts it's already been it's already been touched on Thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to share my message and introduce the STEP acronym. But I'm just looking, and I think at Common Goal, we're just looking to give people hope that there is a way, there, there is a path through the adversity, through the trauma to the other side. And once you take your first step, 
no matter how small, will allow the next step to become possible. What an amazing words. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Prefontaine. Thank you for being here. I know it's not easy, but there is a part of you who is ready to take this journey all the way, and I can help. Reach out to me directly at Anna at AnnaMadeNova.com to get to work. You can also connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn for more healing stories and magic. This journey isn't possible to do on your own, so make sure to like, subscribe, and review the podcast so we can help more people like you. If you have someone in your life who is struggling to overcome their trauma, this is something you can give them that truly can change the course of their life forever. We'll see you next time for another episode of the World's Best Trauma Recovery Podcast. And just remember, you are able to help yourself and you can do it right now.